little detail. You will see it's not so little. Let's take a look at that little detail here. Chapter 11, Parakud Aleph. And we'll start from Pasuk Aleph, page 346. Have we got it? We can start. We're, all, we're good. Vayomer Hashem HaMoshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Od nega echad avi al paro One more plague I'm going to bring on paro and al mitzrayim. Achrechein, after that, yishalach eschem mizeh. He will then send you out. Kishalcho kala garesh yigaresh eschem mizeh. When he sends you forth, it will be a complete, it will be finished, no more back and forth, no more vacillation. But, says Hashem to Moshe, The word Daberna, or this phrase Daberna, can either mean speak now, or what's the other possibility? Please speak. So Rashi learns it that way, we'll go with Rashi. Hashem says to Moshe, Please speak to the people, speak in their ears. And let every man ask from their friend, their re'eyu, their fellow Egyptian friend. Strange term used for an Egyptian, a friend. Maybe it's like a Facebook friend, not really a friend anyway. And ask, and let every woman ask her female friend. Even in Egypt, the assumption is the man hang out with the man and the woman hang out with the woman. Let them ask the man from the man, the woman from the woman, silver and gold utensils. Please, Moshe, please tell the people that they should ask their fellow Egyptians for gold and silver utensils. Verse 3, Hashem gave the people favor in the eyes of Egypt. Also, the man Moshe was great in the land of Egypt. In the eyes of the servants of Paro, and in the eyes of the servants, in the eyes of the nation. What is this chain about? What's this uh, this grace and this favor that's going on here? God gave grace and favor. Um, so. It could be that the grace and the favor is in order to say yes to that strange request. That strange request of asking for gold and silver. But we know that God says to Moshe, please, make sure to tell the people to ask for gold and silver. And indeed, and indeed, that's what happens. Find later on, when the Jews, the Makkah of what? What plague of? Plague of Choshech. Right? We find that the Jews, um, on page 358, page 358, Torah says, verse 35, uh, chapter 12, verse 35, they did like Moshe said. It sounds like they didn't want to ask for the money. It sounds like they didn't want the money. 
Are they Jewish? What's going on here? Well, that's a real question, actually. Not are they Jewish, but why do they seem hesitant? It's like Hashem says, please, make sure you tell the Jewish people. And they, this is a strange word, and they, please do not call out. Please listen for a moment. Think about that word in, for a moment. How would you translate now? Take a quick moment. Think after you thought about it. How would you translate that word? You can call out now. They, what? I didn't ask what it says there. So, so it could very well be that they borrowed. Right? They um, they borrowed or they asked from the Egyptians silver and golden um, utensils, usmalot, and clothing. We've seen that phrase before. And Hashem gave the favor of the nation, the favor of the nation in the eyes of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians granted, or they lent, or they gave, and they emptied out Egypt. The fulfillment of Hashem's request to Moshe to tell B'nai Yisrael. That's exactly what happened. They asked for the gold and silver, and the Egyptians gave the gold and silver. And this is a, right, this is a interesting footnote in the story of redemption. Hashem says to Moshe, please make sure that the Jews ask for gold and silver. And, in the end, they go to their neighbors, and we're told in the Makkah of Choshech, and that's when they identify where it was, famous Medrash, and that's what happens. There's a very obvious moral question here. We'll get to the moral question in a moment. First, let me go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, page 346. Let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi, page 346, Pasuk Rashi tells us that Hashem is pleading with Moshe. Right column. The term na is a request. It's a, it's, it's a, I, I, I'm, I'm pleading. Please. Please warn them regarding this. Because I don't want the Jews to quetch. It happens. Shalom Yomar. That the Jew shouldn't say, you know, Oto Tzadik Avraham, excuse me, that the Tzadik Avraham shouldn't say, Va'avodum ve'inu osam kiyem bahem. That when it came to the first part of the Brit Bein Abtarim, the covenant between the parts, when it came to the first part of the covenant between the parts, what's the covenant between the parts? That's the famous encounter that Hashem that Avram had with Hashem back in chapter 15 in the book of Rashi's, and Hashem tells Avram what's going to be with the Kali Yisrael, and that they're going to go through the Egyptian servant, they're going to go through the servitude. So I don't want that Avraham should have a complaint. What should the complaint be? Because the first part, God said, is going to happen, and they will afflict them, that, and they will be subjugated to them, that, that God fulfilled. But the 
But afterwards, God told Abram, they will go out in great wealth. That's also part of the covenant between the parts. I don't want Avram to have a complaint that, you know, the Jews, the Jews got the first part of the bargain, the first part of the covenant, which is enslavement, but they didn't get the second part, which God promised, which is the wealth. So since I don't want Avram to have a complaint... So please make sure to tell the Jews to ask for the wealth. I don't want Avram to complain that I didn't fulfill my promise. I remember I read the in 10th grade, Rabbi Ruven Hachberg, Shlita, living be well. The man probably in his late 80s, early 90s at this point. I remember when he used to go through the Haggadah on Pesach. This was used to every day, but for about 30 days before Pesach. He, um, he would always give a solid, amazing vort. This Rashi, he, he was bothered by this Rashi. And I don't remember much from high school. I remember very often having a special Makam Kavu in the principal's office. I remember, you know, uh, I remember many things. But this, this, this particular vort made an impression on me. So what's the obvious kasha in the Rashi? Forget about everything else. Just in the Rashi itself. The formulation of Rashi. What does Hashem say? I don't want Avram Tabbat. How can it be, God? You only fulfilled the first part, not the second part. Therefore, please, Moshe, tell the Jewish people to ask for wealth. So what's the problem here? Well, why, do we, why can't he do it without us asking? I mean, you can't give us the wealth. Why does. Moshe need to tell the Jewish people to ask for the wealth. How else are they going to get the wealth? He can do it anyway, right? Okay, so that's a beautiful question. Not on the Rashi. It's a beautiful question. Let's let's let, we're gonna we're gonna stick with that question. Why is this whole process necessary? You needed the wealth by asking the Egyptians. At the end, you could have done it. They got it at the end by the Shira Sayam, by the Biza Sayamsuf. They had much more wealth from the Yamsuf. Good. That is a very beautiful question. But in the Rashi itself, in the Rashi itself, Hashem didn't want them to steal it. In the Rashi itself. Why is Abraham complaining? Why did Abraham have to see like? That they would have the wealth. Like God promised that if he didn't see all the all the future. I mean, is it? Okay. Okay. We're getting there. We're getting there. What do you say, Kiduri? Yeah, hold one side. Yeah. God should be worried about his own word, not what Abraham. Yeah, like you know, I don't want Abraham to have a complaint, right? That I didn't keep my promise, and therefore I'm going to keep my promise. And if Abraham isn't the cop, I don't have to keep my promise. I mean, either did, he, did God say he's going to do it? Or he promised. He promised. So, Memela, right? So, he has to keep his promise independent of Avraham. Independent of Avraham. This is a, it's a brilliant, it's a beautiful question. It's a very famous question. What do you mean? Avraham is the cop? God promised. So, my Rebbe at that time suggested, he suggested, That maybe the great wealth is referring to the Torah. The great wealth is the Torah. The Achrechein Yitzhak Rechosh is the Torah. And that really was what God meant. But since it could be understood in sort of two ways, a double entendre, 
it could be understood by Jews as the great wealth meaning like gold and silver. And therefore, he didn't want anybody to have any, any, any complaints. So it wasn't that God wasn't fulfilling his promise. His promise was what? Great wealth. His great wealth that he meant was what? Was the Torah. But Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, is a tzaddik. A tzaddik lives beyond reproach. That means to say, if not for Avram Avinu saying, God, I know what you meant, and you know what you meant, but they didn't know what you meant. And since they didn't know what you meant, and therefore they're going to have complaints against you, you have to, if I'm a tzaddik, you have to be a tzaddik. You're the tzaddik shalom. We find that God is called the tzaddik olamim. He's the tzaddik of the world. So therefore, it's only the tzaddik that can sort of be the cop. Because even if there would have been no wealth, you no know, giving over of fiscal wealth, there would have been the wealth of the Torah. That was the suggestion that my Rebbe gave. It was a beautiful suggestion. We're not going to go with that Mahalach tonight. But it's a, very, it's a very wonderful answer. But it really brings us to something interesting. And I want to take about five minutes now to show you the history of this request of wealth. We just see it at the end, at the end game. But I'd like to ask you, where do we... Let's try to trace for a moment how rooted this concept of wealth, of God wanting the Jews to leave wealthy, how rooted that is in the redemption story. So let's go for a quick moment. I'm going to show you a few psukim. Let's go back to Bereshus, back to Esvav. You'll see something very interesting. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. So... Page 68, chapter 15, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Pasuk Yud Gimel. So we saw this quoted in Rashi, but it's Kedai to see the whole context. So, Vayomer Avram. Hashem tells Avram, Avram is the leader, right, of the religious people in the world at that time. He has his hashpa, he has his nation that he made, the 70, he has the converts. Vayomer Avram, page 68, Vayomer Avram, Yadoa Teido, you should know that Kigeri is Arachaber Slolahem, you will be what? You will be a stranger to land that is not yours. Vavaduminu Osamabam Yashana, and they will afflict you and they will enslave you for 400 years. Vigamas Agoyasha Yavodu Dananochi, and the nation that, that will, the nation that will afflict you, that will subjugate you, I will judge. Vachrechain. And then after that, they'll leave in great wealth. This is from the very beginning of the plan. God says they have to leave with a lot of money. Ki'ilu, that makes it better. They're going to have 210 years of servitude in Egypt. 400 years of some type of affliction that's described in Brisbane of his arm. And God says, so, and they're going to leave in great wealth afterwards. Does that make it better? That's very strange. Like, why is that like part and parcel? Like, after the whole thing is over, right, I'm going to judge, and then they'll leave in great wealth. 
Why is that? Like, why is that a fundamental part of the redemption story? Move ahead. Move ahead to the book of Shmos. Book of Shmos, chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. Parakimo, Pasukah, The context, Moshe is at the snap. Moshe is at the burning bush. So God, God says to Moshe, in the beginning of this whole story, God says to Moshe, in, on page 302, he says, verse 7, I've seen the, the, the afflictions of my nation, I've heard the cries, Verse 8, I'm going down to save them from Egypt and to take them out of this land to a great and wide land to an unbelievable land and they're crying out and Moshe, and Moshe you're going to be the one and we learned earlier Moshe doesn't want to be the one and then page 306 page 306 Hashem says to Moshe, here's the plan. Tell them you're going to go for three days in the desert, and you're going to, you're going to serve Hashem, your God. Or, right? And I know, in verse 19, I know that He won't let you. Verse 20, and I'm going to send my hand, and I will smite them. And then, He will send you. And, oh, and by the way, Moshe, and I will place the grace of this nation in the eyes of Egypt. How many times have we seen that phrase? It's the third time we've seen that phrase. And I will make sure that they what? That the Jewish people are, that there's the chen ha'am. That they will, there will be something special in the eyes of Egypt. The Jews will be a special people. Chen ha'am. Be'inim Mitzrayim. And therefore what? When they go out, they will not go out empty-handed. And a woman will ask from her neighbor, it doesn't mention here a man, it says the woman before it, later on it says the man, silver and gold, and dresses, clothing, and you'll put the clothing on your children. Unbelievable, Egyptian clothing on your children. And you'll empty out Egypt. So once again, we find four mentions of what obviously isn't such a detail. Four mentions of the what? Of the leaving Egypt with great wealth. Of leaving Egypt with great wealth. Way back in the beginning of the story, in the Brisbane of Asarim, at the snare, when God is giving Moshe the game plan, this is a critical detail. Then, as this, the events are unwinding, and there's only one plague to go, God says to Moshe, in case you forgot the playbook, let me repeat it once again. Please! Please! Moshe, don't forget this. And then, once again, once again, as it happens... Right, when the plague of the firstborn, Torah tells us, we read, that they asked, and the grace of the nation was upon the Jewish people, and they took it, took the wealth. 
So obviously we need to understand what's the depth of this idea. Furthermore, there's a serious moral question here. The moral question is, no, somebody asked the Kasha, what's the question? Why did they have to leave the now that's, a, that's the first question. Like, what's the idea? What's the moral question? They're actually being told to lie. They're not saying, they're I'm taking this because God said it's mine. They're saying, please lend me this. Yeah, lend me. Yeah. Can, yeah, can I borrow a tissue? <laughs> right? Sure, you want it back? I'll give it back to you, right? Okay, so, 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 so uh, please don't give it back that way. Did they actually say borrow? The lo- the lo- okay, so the language of the text is, Visha'Allah, Vayish'Alu. That's a moral question. It's a question. It's a question. Furthermore, because it says the language of borrowing, or she'ila. Let's just say it that way, she'ila. We saw that in three places. Uh, we saw that in chapter 3, verse 22, We saw it in chapter um, 11, And then we saw it when it actually happened, Torah describes, um, so the three times the Torah uses that verb. The Torah is very clear about that. It's a very obvious moral question. So the morality of them asking for it, the essential idea we need to understand, we need to understand what's the Avram Avinu connection, why couldn't they have gotten wealth in a different way? Right? The, the, that Rashi. We need to understand... Bichlal. Even if they would have said, can we please have it? Can we please have it? Like, why? Why should they have it? Because they worked for free for 200 years. Oh, okay. So now let's, let's try to put, put Humpty Dumpty together here. So I want, to, I want to try to deal with this on two levels. First, let's try to understand. Um, let's try to understand a little bit um, how to justify, how to understand, how to justify the essential notion, the essential notion of what's going on here, of why, at least on a simple level, why Hashem wants this to happen. On a simple basis, on a morality, why is it more just to take out or take all their money? It seems a little bit strange. So I want to share with you something very interesting, very interesting. In 2003, in the year 2003, um, Dr. Nabil Hilmi, the well-known dean of, the, of an Egyptian law school, I'm joking, but he, is, he was the dean, maybe he still is, told the Egyptian weekly newspaper, Al-Akram Al-Arabi, like the New York Times, that a group of Egyptians living in Switzerland, and he, we're preparing a lawsuit against all the Jews of the world. This is a true story. <laughs> for trillions of dollars. In compensation for property, including gold and cooking utensils, reported, purportedly stolen by the Jewish people when they left Egypt oh my God. approximately 3,500 years ago. Oh my God. In the article, which was translated from Arabic to English and made available by Memory, Middle East Media Research Institute, Dr. Homi explained that the Egyptian pyro was surprised one day to discover thousands of Egyptian women crying under the palace balcony asking for help and complaining that the Jews stole their clothing and jewels in the greatest collective fraud history has ever known. <laughs> Dr. Homi further claimed that an Egyptian priest said that by taking the cooking utensils, the Jews 
The Jews sought to cause a minor problem connected with the needs of everyday life, so as to occupy people with these matters and prevent them from pursuing the Jews to get back the stolen gold. In other words, since they couldn't have their Egyptian fried eggs, they were so busy, you know, trying to figure out how to cook an egg, they didn't run after their bracelets. So, Dr. Hilmi intends to rely on the Torah, or the Jews' holy book, um, which is the same source that the Jews relied on. And this is actually, was a lawsuit uh, that was brought, I don't know the details of it. But what's interesting is how, how life mimics Talmud. Because it's a very interesting piece of Gemara, very famous piece of Gemara, that says the very same thing. Sanhedrin 91a, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin Sadi Aleph, a very interesting thing. Pamachas, one time, Bo b'nei Mitzrayim, the Egyptians came, Ladun im Yisrael. They, they wanted to sue the Jews. And they went, Lifnei Alexandrus Mokdon. Who's that? Alexander of Macedon. of Macedon. So we're talking about 330 BCE, well after, well after the story of Exodus. Right? So... If you do the math, I'm a little bit uh, challenged here. But 330 BCE is 2200 years ago. And the Egyptian story happened 3300 years ago, approximately. Okay? So what's that? 2300 years ago. No, no, no. Egyptian Exodus is 3300 years ago. It's 2448. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. That's what I said. So it was a so thousand years afterwards. So it was a thousand years after the story. It's still a little bit late. A little bit delayed, a delayed lawsuit. So, so they went before Alexander of Macedon, and Amrulo, Harayu Omer, Vashem Nasan Eschena Am Beinim Mitzrayim Vayashilun. It says that you borrowed it. It's time to pay back already. Tenu Lanu Kesef Izov Shenataltem Mimenu. No, it's already. You bought, you, did you finish using it yet? It's an interesting Gemara, no? So the Gemara tells us there was a one guy, his name was Giviah ben Pesisa. And he said to the Chachamim, listen, let me be the defense attorney for the Jewish people. He does not tell you why. Because if I lose, I'm not a rabbi, so that I can just say I don't really represent anybody but myself. I'm just the Balabas, Giviah ben Pesisa. I'm just a regular Jew. So he, so he says, and if I win, so then it's over. So he says, listen, you'll get a second chance. So let me, let me, <laughs> let me go. So that's what Gemara says, let me go. So, Amrullah, so they let, they let him go. They let him defend. Giviyah ben Pesisa, JD. So Amrullah, he said to them, so he said to them as follows, Where's your proof? We just said our proof is from your Bible. It's in your Bible. I'll bring you a proof from the Torah also. As it says, It said that the Jews stayed for 430 years in Egypt. Now, how do you get to 430 is not for today's shir. Tenu lanu schar avoda. You owe us a little bit of back pay. Tenu lanu schar avoda. 
Shall Shishim Rivo six hundred thousand men? Shall she baditem be Mitzrayim Shloshim Shana of Aramel Shana? Six hundred thousand men times four hundred and thirty years. So that's a little bit you owe us some money also. So Amr Lahen Alexandrus smoked in Alexander of Macedon, who's watching and presiding. He said to the Egyptians, No. <coughs> good gezukt. He said good. Alexander certainly spoke Yiddish. So, Hachzirulot Shuva, give an answer. Amrulot, Tenu lanu zeman shlosha yamim. Give us three days. We'll get back to you. Nasan lehem zeman. He gave them the time. Badka v'lomatsu tshuva. They didn't have anything to respond. Miyad he nichu sadosehen kishehen zeruos vikarmeyan kishehen netuos. They immediately left their fields. The Egyptians left their fields and their vineyards, which were completely laden with produce ubarchu, and they ran away. Not only did they have what to respond, but they knew that they owed a lot of money. So it's interesting, Rabbi Avi Shafrin who in the year 2003, he made this connection, the lawsuit. So Rabbi Avi Shafrin says something very interesting here. He says that in 2003, he said, according to the Jewish religious tradition, the entire world, including Yishmael's descendants, will one day come not only to countenance the idea that the Jewish people are God's people, but fully embrace it. That day has not yet arrived, to be sure. And there will not be military or political actions in the end that will bring it, but rather our merit as a people. It will arrive, though. It will arrive. Instead of Embracing the Jewish people, they ran away. Instead of countenancing the idea that the Holy Land was in fact bequeathed by Avram to Yitzhak, who in turn bequeathed it to, to Jacob, they ran away. Dahainu, all of these, all of the Narishkite, all of the, all of the, the lack of recognition of the Jewish people, in the end, in the end, all of that will be eventually be reversed. But until that time, there'll be lawsuits, and there'll be more and more Narishkite, as we will see, as we see. So what did Gevia ben Pesisa say? He gave a very interesting answer. What was his answer, Rabosai? Why did the Jews, why did the Jews ask for the money? Because it's, 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 it's their money. It's their money. It's, it's, we would almost say it's almost like it's back pay. Or maybe even, we could even say, we could use a different word which evokes something very fascinating. We could even maybe say it's reparations. Something very interesting. Read to you something fascinating. The, um, I left it upstairs, so I'm not going to be able to give you the exact details, but in 
1952, the Chancellor of the Chancellor of Germany, so remember the name of Conrad Adenauer, and in 1945, seven years earlier, three months after the Holocaust ended, Chaim Weizmann, the president of the Jewish agency at the time, then soon to become the first president of the State of Israel, he filed a petition that Germany should give one billion dollars to the Jewish agency. That's what it would take to um, bring the Jews who were left to Israel and whatever and to deal with their needs. And obviously this was completely not addressed because nobody was thinking about that at that point. It was right after the Holocaust. But in 1951, um, Weizmann once again brought that same request. And this time it was actually taken quite seriously. And in 1952 the Chancellor of West Germany came to Israel in a very unbelievable um, unbelievable turn of events and he addressed the Knesset there was massive protests outside the Knesset you could imagine he offered reparations they negotiated a package and Menachem Begin who at that time was the leader of the Chirut party the opposition Menachem Begin said, it's blood money, we're not touching it. We're not taking a penny of your blood money. And by the vote of 61 to 50, the Knesset approved to negotiate for reparations. And I don't know exactly the timeline, but it wasn't that much, didn't take that much time. They, they gave $1 billion, and that $1 billion was used for gas, getting gas from England, and it was used for, I think, they also buses, a lot of buses. And then later on, they expanded the package more. In the 1990s, it was a very major expansion. There was a final settlement. Several billion dollars was given to the conference claims. The claims conference, rather. And um, there are many, not that many, however many survivors that are around today, there are survivors to this very day that are receiving reparations. Yeah. And it evoked an unbelievable, unbelievably emotional debate. Um, the founders of the State of Israel were for it. The Labour Party, Ben-Gurion and that Chochevra. And Begin was very, very much against it. But it, it was a very personal question. My, I have four grandparents, all of blessed memory, but all of them were affected by the Holocaust in some way. And and within those grandparents, there were disputes whether or not to accept the reparations. I believe that my mother's parents did accept the reparations. They said, one, one, my father's, I think my father's father did not want to take it. I think my father's mother did take, my father's father did not want to take it. He said, he said, he said, it's blood money. I'm not going to allow them to, I'm not going to allow them to feel clean. And, you know, the other side of the coin is, it's not their money. It's our money. It's our money. It's our, they're, not, they're not repairing. It's the money that they stole from us. So, Gevi'a ben Pesisa, that whole idea in the Gemara, 
is that, the, is that when you leave Mitzrayim, the Rebona Sholem says, make sure that they leave with money. Because maybe we can say like this, because even though Mitzrayim was very bitter, but maybe it should be that when they leave Mitzrayim, they shouldn't feel lingering bitterness. They shouldn't feel that even, like, you know that not only did we get, were we enslaved, but they took all our money. Or they, that there's no, that there's a double loss. It could be that that's what's going on. Kaviya ben Pasisa reflects that idea. And it's interesting to point out that we find that idea in a little bit like, a little bit nuanced, some nuances. We find that idea in the, in the Rishonim. I want to read to you, I want to read to you what, um, I want to read to you what the Rabbeinu Hananel, one of the early Rishonim, even before Rashi, he says, why did Hashem say this? About There was no, you can't evaluate the productivity. They built up Egypt. Infinite value. So therefore, it wasn't, so, there, so the Rabbi Yechanan says, that's what's going on. That's the, that's the, the they asked for money. And, and it's, and it's very chashim to the Rebona Shalom that, that that money should be, that that money should be given to the Jews. A little bit different than that, a little bit different than that, is the opinion of the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni says in chapter 11, Perkid Aleph, one of the three places where the Torah talks about the Shmos, he says, you know, the Jews left all their real estate in Egypt. This is very interesting. So, you know, that, that's a lot of money, the real estate. So you know what Hashem had in mind? What's the idea? What's the idea of giving them gold and silver? No, what do you say? Converting the wealth. Converting the real assets. Right? To liquid assets. Right? They took the, you know, and there's some Persians here, right, who can tell you about stories of either their family or other families that had left behind very, very big estates. And they weren't able to, liquid, to liquefy the real assets. And the, the Persian Gentiles knew that the Jews were on the run, so they didn't, they didn't offer them anything. Right? They knew that, the, you know, so, so this was the special chain, was that even though the Jews were on the run, the Egyptians paid for that which they were going to get. It was, a, it was a, a transaction. Even though they could have theoretically waited it out, so the Chizkuni says, very interesting idea, the Chizkuni says that that um, they left their houses and their fields and their utensils. So then what happened was, right, because they were in Goshen and they had it, so they got that instead. So one approach which is in the Rabbi Yochanan but really echoes the Gemara is what? That what's the concept of What's the concept of the wealth? It's sort of a reparations idea. A second concept that we saw is that it's a quid pro quo. It's liquefying the assets. A third approach that appears in the Chizkuni and Rabbeinu Hanano as well. They, they both share this really an alternate approach. 
There's a concept of ha'anaka. Ha'anaka is when you send your Evid who worked for you for seven years, or for six years, and in the seventh year you send them away free. You don't just send them free. You give them something. The Torah says, Hanik tanik lo, mitzoncha, migarnacha, miikvecha, you give him something. The Torah says that you give him tzon goren v'yekev. You give him cattle, you give him wine and grapes and produce, and you give him wheat and produce. And so the Chizkuni says, these three types, kesef is ahavu smalot, are connected, these three types are connected to the three things that are mentioned in Devarim. And so, even though it's not reparations, but it's a de facto statement that the Jews worked so hard, and now that you're going free, so we want to acknowledge that. So even though they didn't acknowledge it for all these years, but now the Chain Ha'am, you with me? The grace of the nation, finally they realize, wow, you really did a lot for us. You can even sort of rationalize it and say that sometimes you don't appreciate someone until they leave. Right? It's only when they leave do you realize how productive they were. Right? You know, uh, some people who are married might be amazed that if their spouse or their wife, let's say it that way, if their wife goes away for a day or two, a week or two, they might be amazed at how many things don't happen. You know, I just, I just thought, you know, when I was a, when I was a, a bachelor and I was in college, I used to open up the refrigerator, like several times a day, like hoping that something new would happen, <laughs> like something new would appear, because that's always what happened when I was at home. Like I'd open it up like at nine in the morning, it was like that, and then I'd open it up like you know five p.m. It was like a whole new thing. It was a panim chadashos, you know. But it, but in college it was like a, no, nothing new. It's just the same. Empire frozen chicken that I used to eat soggy because I'm sorry this is guys in the dorm and you know so so that's the way it was you know and the milk may or may not have been within the year and that's that's the way it is you know that's okay yogurt cottage cheese milk it's all the same thing so 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 when you so you appreciate so you appreciate right you can appreciate you know, when they're leaving. So the Chain Ha'am, the Chizkuni, Rabbi Yechanan will say that there's another notion here, a notion of Ha'anaka, the idea of the going free, you give them, I, I was once um, meeting with a very wealthy Jew who happened to have um, uh, stayed for a very short time in behind bars. And uh, this very wealthy and special Jew, no need to go into the details, um, Shared that he was when he when he walked out of prison. It's only a short time he was there. He walked out with another fellow, and this other fellow we walked out with had actually no money, no money whatsoever. He's out of prison, no money. Like Mama's like no money, like to get to home. And then you're on, you're you're free. So what do you do then? If you're a slave all the time, what do you do? Like you have no money. So he, he it's a very special Jew. He took out several hundred dollars. He said, here, here's some money. Hanaka is, you have a lease on life, you're starting again. It's not only, I appreciate what you did, but you're a slave. You have no way, you have no way to start it, to start. So I'm, I'm going to start you off. I'm going to start you off. 
So that's also part of it. That's also part of the concept of Anukah. So we have reparations. That's the idea of Enechananel. We have the second idea that what? It's the concept of liquidating the assets. That's the Chizkuni. And then we have the idea that they both say a second, a third concept, which is the concept of Ha'anukah. Of letting him, when the slave goes free, the Torah tells us that in Devarim, in chapter 15. I, why do they borrow? Borrowing seems a little bit immoral, the term borrowing. So here the Rishonim address this question head on. We're not interested in avoiding the moral question. So a very, obviously the Gemara understands that it was borrowing. But I want to read to you some very wonderful um, approaches. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I give, get, deal with that, a fourth approach. Amazing medrash. This medrash appears in a sefer known as Torah Shlema, Rabbi Nachim Kasher. And the medrash is called the medrash Chemdas Yomim. And it says an amazing thing. Amazing. I just, I, in my preparing this year, I came across this medrash. I had not seen this before. To me, it's a big chiddush. The medrash says, remember we pointed out that sometimes it says that the woman should ask? In some places it says that the men should ask also, right? We pointed that out in the Pesukim. So the Medrash says, why does the Torah say that the woman, why does the Torah in one place focus only on the women, that the women should ask on their neighbors? So the Medrash says, she came she goes up, Paro and Paro decreed way back when. Paro decreed, kol ha-bein, ha-yilod, all the sons should be what? Cast in the river. You remember that? So, but the Torah doesn't say that they were all cast in the river. The Torah says, in the language of the text, doesn't say, kol haben. It just says that was a part of the creed. So, Hayubinos Yisrael Meshachados Mitachshitehen. The daughters of Israel, says the Medrash, used to take their gold and silver, their jewelry, and give it to the servants of Paro. The universal language. Money. Mitachshitehen. I used to have a friend of mine, still alive and well, Baruch Hashem. He was a brilliant Torah scholar, but he couldn't really speak Hebrew well. So he was, he's a brilliant, he is a brilliant Torah scholar. And his, his professor, who was teaching him some like deep Jewish philosophy, asked him to present, and he started presenting, but he couldn't really say it in Hebrew well. So he said to him, he said, uh, Yaakov, he said, how can you ever, how do you ever get, manage in Israel? You were in Israel for like five years. How do you manage, how do you buy a falafel? How do you buy a falafel in Israel? So he, so he, my friend looked at me and he said, he took out some money, he said, Kesef Midaber. <laughs> money talks. Kesef <laughs> Midaber. So, so they, the, the Jewish woman took from their Jewelry, and they would bribe the Egyptians that they shouldn't t- say anything. And therefore, the Egyptians took some of the boys and killed them, but they spared a lot of them. And therefore, the Torah doesn't say that they, it ever says that they threw all the children. So, therefore, why did Hashem command? that the woman should ask for the jewelry. It's because they were just asking for the jewelry back. Because it was theirs to start with. 
They shouldn't have to pay to save the life. So Hashem rewards them. The Mesiris Nefesh of the Jewish woman. A very amazing, amazing idea. Why did Hashem say, make sure you ask for the wealth? Because the Jew shouldn't say, you know, I left my bracelets by the Egyptians to save a Jewish life. Feel like you lost out something. No, no, no. They shouldn't feel anything. Shouldn't feel like they lost anything. Make sure they get their jewelry back. Four approaches to understand what's going on. What about the question of borrowing? Let's deal with that for a moment. So the Rabbeinu Hananel and the Rashbam and others give a very simple answer. And it was already mentioned, the Ardina mentioned in passing. The word Lishol can mean no what do we it can mean one of two things. When the Torah talks about it in the book of um, when the Torah talks about it in Parshas Mishpatim, chapter twenty two in the book of Mishpatim in the book of Shmos, Torah says, If somebody borrows from his friend, Yishal can mean to borrow. If you borrow um, an animal and it breaks or it dies, you have to pay. The word She'ela can mean to borrow. However, we know that the word She'ela can also mean not to borrow, but rather what? To ask. For example, for example, one of the Mepharshim says a very beautiful example. When the Rashbam says as follows, the Rashbam quotes a Pasuk, Rashbam in chapter 11, verse 2, I want to read to you terminology of the Rashbam, chapter 11. Tehillim, chapter 2, verse 8. L'shem matana gemura. They didn't borrow, they asked for a present. Can I have it? Vayash ilu, v'yish alu means they asked for it. Kimo, as it says in Tehillim, chapter 2, verse 8. Sha'al mimeni, ask me. Ve'etena. Ve'etna goyim nachlasecha. Sha'al me many, ve'etena. Ask for me, and I'll give it to you. Or, a very interesting proof that one of the Mepharshim brings, Chana. Chana says to, says to, I think, to Eli, when she has her son, finally, Shmuel, she says, I have hish iltiu la'ashem. But I lent him to God? He's on loan to God? No, he's not on loan to God. I'm giving him to God. Lehashil means it's the it's the causative. I'm causing him to be requested by God. I'm giving him over. Lehashil doesn't mean I'm lending only. It means I'm I'm transferring him over. And therefore, and you'll find that many of the Farshim bring other psukim as well. <coughs> another <coughs> excuse me, another pasuk. That is brought to prove this, Rabbeinu Bechayai. He says, Chash v'sholom, God forbid, <coughs> that God should tell the Jews to cheat the Egyptians. Sheyignov das habrios, Chash v'sholom. 
they, 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 they should say that we're borrowing and we're not going to return it. God forbid. The language of Sheila. <coughs> excuse me. Shetite love matana. Given as a present. <coughs> because the word Sheila can either mean what? Can either mean what? To mean to borrow or it can mean to task. And he says in Melachim with Bat Sheva Sheila achat ktana anochi shoalet mitach. I'm asking for one thing. Yeet, I'm asking for, I'm, I'm asking one request. Yeet, heinous, Avishag Ashunamis. That Avishag should be given to David. Sheila achat ktana. I'm asking for one request. Sheila doesn't mean only to borrow, it means to request. And therefore, according to this whole approach, we've solved, number one, we've solved the question of what's the essential idea, at least from the morality perspective, we gave the four approaches. And in terms of the, the perspective of the Egyptians, what did the Jews say? Did they say, can we borrow, can we have? So the Rashbam and the Chizkuni and many of the other Mepharshim say, no, they actually said, can we have? I, why does it tell you to use the word Vayashilu? Because they didn't say, give it to us. They asked for it first. And that's why, since they asked for it, they needed that the, if, the, if the Egyptians knew that, that they were asking for the jewelry, so they needed to have special grace... No, they need to have special grace to be able to what? To be able to, for them to say yes. That's not, not a double portion, not obvious at all. They need special grace. So we sort of dealt a little bit with the, like the morality question. I just want to mention one thing before I get to the, really the essential point that I want to make in tonight's year. After we've sort of organized the approaches. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Is a very interesting comment of the Rabbeinu Bachaye. I found it interesting. He says, <coughs> says like this. He says that what's the term that was used for the Egyptians? What does the Torah say? What's the what's the noun? Ask your ask your what? Ask your neighbor in one place, and another place is what? Friend, ask your friend. So he says it's interesting in the Torah when when the Torah says "Vahavta l'recha kamocha," love your neighbor like yourself. That's a halacha between Jews. Whenever the Torah uses "recha l'mana chayverei" for the sake of my brothers and friends, that's not just a Shlomo Kabach song. "Lamana chayverei" that's referring to Jews. He says, well, "Where do we find that the Torah uses this terminology of?" Re'eyu for non-Jews. They're people. They're B'tselem Elohim. They're image of God for sure. But why the idea of friend? So he says it, a very interesting thing. He says, Yirali, Rabbeinu Mechayi, says, Yirali, Shekodem Matan Torah. That before the giving of the Torah, Hayu kol habrios chaverim ke'echad. Before the giving of the Torah, all of humanity were like, on some level, were, had the halachic status of chaverim, of friends. But 
But after the giving of the Torah, when he offered the Torah to every other nation, they didn't accept it. He saw until the Jews accepted All the nations said, you're not our friend anymore. You didn't stick with us. That term is used only for the Jewish people. Shemikru Achim Bereim Lamakum, who are called brothers and friends of God. So Vishalu Ishme Eswe Ehu, there is a kinship between all of humanity, sounds a little bit liberal and progressive, right? Between all of humanity and the Jews and the Egyptians. At this point in time, there's this incredible connection. Ishme Eswe Ehu, and there's a bonding, there's a unity. And it could very well be. And I wanted to suggest this point. It could very well be that there's another aspect of what's going on here. And that is because the Egyptians caused the Jews great suffering. And now they look back and they regret it. So what's one way to punish the Egyptians that's the least painful? What's one way to punish the Egyptians that's the least painful? That's what? Monetarily. Monetarily. People would spend, they don't want to lose their lives. Right? So what happens? God says, if you go back to the story of Brisbane of Basarim, what does God say? The nation that what? The nation that will enslave you, I will judge. And then they will, the Jews will leave in great wealth. What's the connection between those two, two phrases? So I think it could be, very well be, that what? Another suggestion, a fifth idea. That what's going on here? That the Dan Anochi, that Hashem is judging. Hashem is judging the Egyptians. And that judgment of the Egyptians is going to be by taking away the money. And that will be the punishment. And if, had they not gone after the Jews, remember they went after the Jews, when did they go after the Jews? By the splitting of the sea. Had they not gone after the Jews, then they would have all lived happily ever after. They wouldn't have had their gold goblets but they would have been able to move on. Hashem was going, it's a chesed of God. They're your friends. They have a status of re'ehu, and now they're going to give the gold and silver, and then it's time to move on. Reparations. So it could be that this was a midas chesed, not only for the Jews, but also what? But also what? An aspect of kindness for, for the Egyptians. I think it's a very, very possible suggestion. Very plausible suggestion. But we still have to deal with Yosef's kasha. Yosef asked the kasha at the very beginning of this year, which seemed like it was like an hour and a, a day and an hour ago. It's a tough crowd today. We have to wake you up. Okay, Mirza Hashem. You know, my parents now started watching this year, so they, they, they have to see that people are alive. So, okay, fine. Okay, thank you. Now, also, I can't make any more jokes about them. That's why this year is not as funny anymore. So the, uh, just joking. So the, uh, so, uh, So we still have to deal with the obvious kasha. And that is, if you say the vart is reparations, or if you say the idea is ha'anaka, they need going for it. The Rebbe Shalom needs, he needs to, it needs to come from the Egyptians. You think God couldn't find other ways to give them money? Chaser. Chaser ways for God. God has many alternate routes in God's great Google map in the sky. There are many alternate routes. 
the master of the universe couldn't figure out a way to get the money. They had more money from the, from the splitting of the sea. The Pizza Sayam, incredible amount of money they came. Much more than came from the, from, from the Egyptians. So why did... So if you'll say there was the Jews needed money to move on, etc., it had to come through the Egyptians. If, you, if you'll say it's a chesed for the Egyptians, then it had to come through the Egyptians, right? But if you don't go with that mahalich, like, why did it have to come through them? We need to also understand back to our question about Avram Avinu. Why is Avram Avinu like, Hashem, Shalom Avram? Please ask, please ask. It seems like there's something, to, there's something in the asking and in the finding favor. It's not simply that God wanted them to get the money. Because if He wanted them to get the money, they could have gotten the money some other way. But it seems like that there's something inherent in the process of what? Of it. Asking the Egyptians, of getting the grace from the Egyptians, of something very significant in that event. I want to share with you two approaches. On a deeper level, the Amkus Advarim, why it had to come. Svas Emes says an amazing thing. The Svas Emes says, Boy, I tell you what the Svas Emes says, I want to read to you a little beautiful article that I came across a few days ago. I don't usually read the Family First magazine, which is called the Jewish Women's Weekly. I don't usually read that. But, but I did. I read this. And there's a... I hope my children are not going to ever see this year. And there's a very beautiful article written by three sisters, three uh, authors who write once a month... Um, uh, Three of them, one lives in America, one lives in Israel, one works for the government. It's all interesting, interesting people. The Zakon sisters. And um, they write on the same topic from three different, um, from three different perspectives. What month it's is, that? is that? From like five this week, this week, this week. Oh. It's called Sister Schmooze. Okay, fine. That's the background. So this woman writes, Miriam Zakon writes something very beautiful. She's right. She writes, it's 5.25 p.m. Yerushalayim rush hour. Those of you who, who are in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, you understand what this means. I'm standing on the crowded sidewalk waiting with what seems like a thousand other people for the 417 express bus to Beit Shemesh. And I remember I have a Davin Mincha and it's skiing, it's 20 minutes, sunset. I find a quiet corner near the bus stop and open my sitter. When I'm done, I can't tell if I've missed the bus or not since now it seems there are about 2,000 people milling a bit. <laughs> Finally, after 10 more minutes, here it is, the 417. Like the state of Israel, Israeli buses have a media problem. When people think of Egev, they think of those chilling pictures of bombed-out buses or rock-hurdling Arab kids or nasty bearded men hissing at women to get to the back. Let me tell you about my 417. It's crowded. There's one empty seat left. A woman holding an infant is standing next to me. She looks at me, smiles, and tells me I can have a seat if I don't mind holding her baby. I smile back and insist she take the seat, wondering if I should start use anti-aging moisturizer and move on. Toward the back, I see a familiar face. It's an old woman who always seems to be at the kotel, where she gives out tehillim mechulak, tehillim divided into small booklets, and also little fridge magnets advising us in Hebrew and English to keep smiling. Shout out for a friend, I'm sure people know him. He's the one who gives it out. I've got one on my fridge. It helps on bad days. You look familiar, she says, from the kotel. I'm going to my grandson's wedding, she tells me happily. Then she offers me a Tehillim booklet. I'm balancing a laptop, a laptop, 
in a full bag, and I tell her, I, I'm not sure I can do this on a moving bus when I'm standing in the aisle. A gray, and bl- a gray and black bearded man in the aisle seat near me stands up. I refuse his offer. He insists. I sit down. Gratefully, it's a 35-minute non-stop ride from here. And take, take two booklets from the coastal lady. Gray and black beard sits on the floor, leaning on his heavy backpack. I look at the woman sitting next to me, the man's wife. Clearly a firm woman snoot and all. When Mrs. Kosel asks her to take a book that she smiles and says she can't read Hebrew. Huh? A few moments later she opens a book. It's a Russian language sitter. She starts dialing Mincha from it. In the aisle next to me is a high school age girl. She's dominating too from a sitter with a pretty pink cover. The lady's been in the 417 is doing fine. Four minutes to Shkia. A few seats down, a teenage boy in a blue t-shirt and matching blue kippah is learning from a small Gemara. He never takes his eyes off the page. Neither does the man sitting one row further. His Gemara is a bigger volume. I notice the sign near the driver in the front of the bus. It's not about transfers, fare, transfers fares, or bus routes. Ain old milvado. There is none but he. Is what it says. By the time I alight from the bus, I had gotten brachas from and given brachas to the Kota lady. I've gotten a full life history and a fervent Shabbos invitation from my seatmate who came to Israel via Bukhara and Queens. I got on the 417 tired and drained from a long meeting and a long day. I got off invigorated, refreshed, floating on a cloud of joy and gratitude. There really is no place like Eretz Israel, and yes, that includes the buses. The name of this article is Why Here, Why Now, and Why Me? Why here? Because there really is no place like Eretz So Why now? Because Hashem has given me this incomparable blessing for which I shouldn't try to thank Him each day. And why me? Because I'm part of Chal Yisrael. And there really is no one like us out there. Says the Svas Emes, a very interesting thing. He says, why does God want the Chal Yisrael to take money? What's with the money? You know, in the end, the money doesn't, it's not, doesn't work out so well with the Jewish people with that money. What happens with that money? Well, the Gemara says, uh, the Gemara says, the Gemara says, very interesting thing. The Gemara says on Brachas Tavlam and Beis, the Gemara says that Amar Rabbi Chiyabar Abba Rabbi Yochan, Mashal Adam Shahayalo, then a father had a son. Here Chitzo, he gave it, he washed him. Sacho, gave him some cologne. Echilo, gave him to eat, to drink. Tololo Kisal Savoro, he put a purse of coins around his neck. Voshibo Pesach Shozonos, and he put him right by. A house of prostitution. Ma yasa oso aben shalom yecheta. What can the son do not to sin? So Moshe Abenu says to God, God, what do you expect from us? You gave us all this wealth. You expect us not to sin? What do you want from us? We're human beings. Ma yasa aben shalom yecheta. It's a great defense of the great defense of Kaisom and Moshe Abenu. So it didn't, the gold and silver didn't work out so well. So what's with the gold and silver? So says the Svas Emes, something very deep. Mm-hmm. Something very deep. You know, Avram Avinu really wanted, make sure, make sure that they asked for the gold and silver, make sure. What's with that? So says the Svas Emes, you have to understand that when B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, they took with them the Nitzotzos of Kedusha. They took with them the sparks of holiness that was found in Egypt. We know that the mixed multitude also went out with them. 
that B'nai Yisrael, they found favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. There was a Kedusha. People understood that Jews were special. That Jews can take this world and elevate it. They can take a bus ride and use it in Avodah Hashem. Give brachis, davin, du chesed, enon milvado. Jews can take, not only they can take the base medrash and make it a dovar chashuv, the Jews can take something as mundane as gold and silver and find it for holy use. And that's a tremendous shevach. Tremendous thing, the Jewish people, a tremendous madrega. And Hashem says, Hashem says to Yaakov, I'm going to, I'm going to what? I'm going to bring you down to Mitzrayim, and then I'm going to raise you up out of Mitzrayim. But when I raise you up out of Mitzrayim, I'm going to take Mitzrayim with you. You're going to take the holiness that was found in Mitzrayim, and you're going to bring it with you. And you should know, and you should know, that when B'nai Yisrael was in such an amazing madrega, when they left Mitzrayim, they received the Ten Commandments. They, they, what they saw, what they saw on Ayam, what they saw at the sea was unbelievable. It's like, says the Svas Emes, it's like a soul needs a body. A soul needs a body. But a real, a real, a real soul is only very little body. But the body is needed to hold the soul. B'nai Yisrael needed to go into Mitzrayim and they needed to take the Gashmias, the material, and to use that in the most unbelievable way. And all of this was in me, in order to fulfill Avram Avinu's desire, Avram Avinu, the first of the converts in world history, whose only desire was to bring the whole world to understand who God is. And therefore, when B'nai Yisrael took the gold and the silver and they showed, how do you use, how do Jews use gold and silver? Right, they have a beautiful Kiddush cup. And they have a beautiful menorah. Right, and they use it. It's just, mamish, just, just today. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get to the second shot. I don't know, it's not looking good. Just today, I'm sitting in a room in my office. And a woman is telling me her, telling me her, her sad story. And she says to me, I could have bought a house. The house at the time was $80,000. Many years ago. It's going back over 30 years. 30. She said the house sold recently for $1.2 million. She said every month I'm collecting money to, cut, to, to, to cover my rent. But you know, instead of buying that house, we sent our kids to yeshiva. And we scraped up that money to send our kids to yeshiva. She says, now I have Jewish grandchildren. And my daughter, whom it is difficult for her to find, she's not yet married. And I say to her, so marry a guy, he's Jewish, he's not from, but he'll become from. And she says to me, no! She says, no! If he's not from now, what is, what's the logic that he'll become from? It's not clear at all. And, I, and I'm arguing with her, and I realize, I sent it to Yeshiva. That's, that's, that's what I paid for. I'm happy about that. And she said, I would do it again. I don't have the house. And I don't have, I barely have the money to make it. She said, but I have Jewish grandchildren and nachas. Right? What do Jews do with money? 
What did you do with money? Okay, we, a little bit we have coffee beans. A little bit we have pets. A little bit. Right. But we take the coffee and we elevate in the deepest way. <laughs> and so, so, says the Svas Emes, the whole Nikuda of the Jew is to reach out to the world and show them in this material craziness you can also find Ruchnis. And that was Avram Avinu's whole raison d'etre. And that's why Avram Avinu is the one who says, Hashem, Avram, Hashem says to, Hashem says to Moshe, please, I know I can get them, I can get them the money a different way. I can get them the money a different way. But you know who's going to be on my case? I'm really nervous. Avram Avinu is going to be on because Avram Avinu... Because he doesn't want the money. He wants that we should be able to infuse the world with the message that everything can be a vehicle for closeness to Hashem. Everything. That when a Jew takes a cup of wine, it's Kiddush. It's not New Year's Eve. It's Kiddush. When Mikadish, that's what a Jew does. He's a Kiddush machine. And therefore what? And therefore, the whole part of taking the money out of Mitzrayim isn't simply a small detail. It's, it's, it's critical to allow the message of what it means to leave Mitzrayim and to elevate to the greatest level of Ruchnius every challenging situation in life. This is what this is what a Jew does. A Jew, it's true. We want many of us want to live lives in the study hall. Many of us want to live lives in the in, in davening. Many many of us want to live lives completely shrouded in kedusha. But you know what? The master of the universe says that's not the plan they have for most of you. You know, it's not so. My Rebbe says. The guys who are learning in Kolo, they don't need the Kolo wives. It's the guys that are the businessmen. They need the Kolo wives. They need the wives that say to them, go and learn. You're tired? Tough luck. Go and learn. Yeah, you spent the whole day working hard. That's true. But you know what? You were doing great things, Kiddush Hashem, but now you got to fill yourself up. How does the Jew engage the challenge of the material world? That's the Achrei Echein Yitzu Berchosh Godot to elevate in a beautiful way. I want to... I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I, I, there's one more thing I want to say. One more thing. I'm not going to be able to develop it further. What? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it also. But one more thing I want to say about this. About about Berchosh This This idea is a fabulous idea. I'll just put it out there. A second deep concept connected to Berchosh and that is, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, Hashem took them out. But there's many indications that they didn't believe in themselves. And the simplest indication was that when the Egyptians came with all their horses, there were many more Jews than there were Egyptians. 600 horses, but 3 million Jews. Right? So, why didn't they just turn on 
turn against them and fight them. So the Ebed Ezra says, because they didn't view themselves as being masters. They view themselves still as being subjugated. Part of the process of becoming a non-slave is not only to undo the shackles. You can have people that are out of prison, that are out of formal servitude for decades, but they can't remove the shackles from their mind and heart. To live the life of freedom, to stand up and recognize that you have a tachlis achayim, a purpose of life. Says the Simcha Bunim Pshischa, very beautiful thing. He said, the Jews didn't believe in themselves. They didn't believe. By Yosha Hashem, by Yomahu, what do we say in, uh, right before Azosha? By Yosha Hashem, by Yomahu, Esesom, Yad Mitzrayim. What do you mean Hashem saved on that day the, Egypt, the Jews from the Egyptians? He saved them before. He said that whole process, the whole process of the Jews leaving Mitzrayim only culminates when the Jew is able to view themselves not only as an underling, but as a master. It's interesting to point out that there are two songs at the sea. Rav Yonas and Ayubashit says there are two songs at the sea. Az Yashir Moshe, Moshe sang, and then it says that the women of Israel sang. So Rav, Sim, Rav, 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 Rav Yonas and Ayubashit says, very amazing thing. He says, how come it was Moshe only that sang? But when it came to the women, all the women sang. By, by Miriam, it says, Miriam, the women, they all sang, you sing. Moshe was, Az Yashir Moshe. So, only afterwards. But it wasn't in unison. Miriam said to the women, you sing, and they sang. So, it says a very amazing thing. He says, the only person that sings of their freedom is someone who believes that they're really free. The woman of Israel acted redeemed even before they were redeemed. They, they were the ones that propped up the men. We know that famous story. By that tree. They were the ones who stood up, didn't listen to Paro. They are the ones that gave the koach. They're the ones that believed that they would be redeemed. The men, the men took a little bit longer. The men didn't believe. You can't sing a song of redemption if you don't believe you're free. So, perhaps the idea, so this very beautiful explanation, again, it's a little bit elaborate, I don't have the time to develop it fully, from Rav Kalman Meyer. says a very interesting thing. He says, why did God give money? Why did God insist that the Jews ask the Egyptians for money and take the money from them? Because they no longer were to see themselves as being slaves. They now are going to what? They're now going to take the money and they're going to demand it. They're going to request it. They're going to take that money. That's a statement of... Because what's an Evan? Evan is somebody who doesn't own anything. An Evan is somebody who doesn't look at himself as having any personal identity. Everything I have belongs to somebody else. Part of the process 
of the redemption of the Jew it was not a physical process. They had to ask their masters and demand to stand up to your masters. To stand up to the thing that mm-hmm. subjugates you. To stand up to Yitzhara. To stand up to people who have a negative influence on you and to say, I'm no longer subjugated to that value system. To stand up. Liberation begins when you're able to take away or take out or to establish your own personal identity. Two very important concepts. Number one, when the Jew is leaving Mitzrayim, he has to realize that it's not going to be a pure base medish experience. Life is going to be full of gashmias, full of material challenges. To be able to find within the world of the material forums and avenues for elevation of spirituality. It's a critical aspect, a critical lesson. Hashem is makbid that they should ask for the money and still go to them. And in the end, Svasavas points out, they didn't they, they weren't on Amadrega. They fell. They didn't do it fully. It was an attempt. And secondly, they stood up to that which subjugated them. Such an unbelievable lesson. Who's a courageous person? Somebody who denies their Yetzirah? Somebody who looks at the Yetzirah and says, you have power over me, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to acknowledge it. And it could be I'll fail once or twice or three times, but I'm going to acknowledge. I'm going to recognize that the challenge is I'm going to rip it away from you. I'm going to become the master. I'm going to take the assets. I'm going to, I'm going to be the person who's going to control my identity, my destiny. I'm not going to be defined by somebody else. Shem should give each and every one of us the ability to leave Mitzrayim in our own lives in a very, very beautiful way. Thank you for listening. Can we just uh, do one pitch tomorrow?